Good morning. Great to see you all here today. Thank you for joining us, uh, as well as for those of you joining us online. We are glad that you are here with us today as well, too. So thank you for being with us. My name is Fletcher Abbott. I am the high school director here at Grace, and I get to have the privilege of getting to continue on in our series in the prophets this morning. Uh, Today we are going to be in the book of Zephaniah, uh, on top of it being a really fun name to say, Zephaniah. It also is a short book with a lot going on in it. So before we begin, what I'd like to do is to give us all a chance with where we're seated, either here or at home, kids that are at home running around in your living room as your parents are desperately trying to listen, hold tight for just a second and let them do this here in a little bit of silence. I want to give everyone a second where you're seated to go ahead and ask God to speak to you this morning that you can enter into this time anticipating that God is going to be at work because there's a lot that's going on in this book And I have zero doubt that there is going to be something for everyone. So I'll give you all a moment to pray where you are seated, and then I will open up a time of prayer as we spend some time in God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it seems like so often our our prayers are the same right now. Prayers about us living in a world that's completely different, that's changed, and yet somehow has already seemed to move so quickly into a new season of what it considers to be normal. Father, I ask that for these next few minutes we would pause... Set everything aside, evaluate anything that we consider to be normal, to ask ourselves if it's from you. God, as we spend time hearing from your word, God, we ask that it would cut deep knowing that that will be painful, that it might be hard, that it might require sacrifice but knowing full well that it will be worth it. So speak to us this morning. Amen. The prophet Zephaniah entered the scene during a tumultuous time in Israel's history. Many generations earlier, Israel had already gone through a civil war where it was split up into two kingdoms. One kingdom consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes, and there was a smaller kingdom from that that we now call to be the the kingdom of Judah. It was the kingdom that, that David's line of kings continued to rule over. But even for Judah, things were not always easy. As Zephaniah is entering into his ministry, King Josiah was sitting on the throne over Judah. 
Josiah was a man who found himself being placed as king at only eight years old. Some of you who either have an eight-year-old, remember your child is an eight-year-old, are now terrified at that prospect. Eight years old. He took the throne after Judah had been led down a road of rampant rebellion against God by Josiah's father and grandfather. Josiah's own father was assassinated. He was disliked so much. And yet the people of Judah gathered together to go ahead and set Josiah up as a king. Altars to false gods were the norm. Wickedness and corruption were the religion. Chaos was the ruler of the land, and now an eight-year-old child was king. Would this young boy grow up to be like his grandfather and father before him? Or was there still reason to hold out for hope for a revival in Judah? This was the times that Zephaniah was writing in, so it should not surprise us that this message of his was a message full of judgment. And yet, scattered throughout are glimpses of a hope. But it is primarily a message of judgment. Zephaniah has some of the strongest judgment language in all of the Old Testament. If you even read there in chapter 1 of Zephaniah, starting in verse 2, this is what he writes. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests and those who bow down on the housetops to the hosts of heaven and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. It was a season of incredible evil in Judah. And so Zephaniah, after hearing a word from the Lord, says, Judah, we have a problem. Judgment is coming. When you look through the book, you can see that Zephaniah talks about this judgment is universal in scale. It's going to hit all across the globe, all nations. But the point Zephaniah is trying to make is that Judah, you are not immune to the consequences of your sin. You are just as likely to get hit by this judgment as any other nation, including your own enemies. The judgment is coming out of an overwhelming period of wickedness and corruption. Literally, the only rational way to describe Judah over the last nearly eight decades at this point is evil. And today we're going to spend some time in the final chapter in Zephaniah where he talks and wraps up this message of judgment and where that goes from here. Because when you look over in Zephaniah chapter 3, he lays out the charges against Judah for why this judgment needs to happen. 
Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, that tyrannical city, or your translation may say that, that oppressive city. He lays out his charges. He says that there is a problem that has happened, and it began with rebellion. She has become rebellious. We would call this sin. Don't mistake that sin is anything but rebellion against God. That is exactly what it is. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter how big or small. Any sin is rebellion. They have turned away from God and no longer look to him as the authority. Any path of judgment will always begin with rebellion. Even judgment on a city began with the rebellion of the individuals within that city. And following rebellion, it made them defiled. Sin taints us. It makes us something that we were never designed or created to be. It ruins the entire order of things. It corrupts us. It leads to decay and destruction, but also... It damages others. It leads to tyranny, to oppression. God says that it's not just that your rebellion damaged you. It gave you the capability to damage others. There's a pattern that emerges here right in that first verse. It's a pattern of rebellion. And a rebellious people creates a defiled people. And a defiled people will be an oppressive people. A people that does not listen. He says in chapter 2, she heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. There is no trust there in their rebellion. Even if they hear the message... He says, you're not listening to it. You're not taking it to heart. You would rather choose your own authority of how to live rather than what you have been called to do. And no one is above rebuking these charges. He continues on in verse 3. Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves at evening. They leave nothing for the morning. Her political officials, her her rulers, those who are leaders, the people that were designed and charged to protect and defend her people, instead harm them. They take advantage of them. Surely we could think of examples of that that we see in our own world, of people that were meant to protect to lead, to guide, and instead have caused harm, taking advantage of others for their own gain. Verse 4, her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Prophets, the ones that are supposed to hear the word of the Lord and speak it out to others for them to hear and obey. But instead, these prophets in Zephaniah's time presume to speak for God, but don't. They are deceptive for their own ends. 
I remember just a couple years ago, there was a man that I had heard that was claiming to be a prophet. And if you would just pay $49.99 for his book, you'd get all the prophecies to know what was happening. To go right into his pocket so he could, I guess, write more prophecies. And they, and they were bogus prophecies. None of them came to be. But we see that happening in our world today too. But it goes further in verse 4. Her priests have profaned the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The religious leaders, the priests should have been the spiritual leaders in their community to help society understand what makes God holy as creator. And instead, these priests have profaned what is holy and led people away from the one that can make them whole and complete again. And how many times do we still read those headlines about another religious leader that has fallen, that has led people in the completely wrong direction? The charges are universal, and no one is above rebuke. But there is a glimmer of hope, even in this first piece of judgment. Verse 5, the Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. The Lord himself is righteous. He can bring about justice. He alone is just. He is constant. He is faithful. You can be certain that he will come through. And yet, it requires something. It requires to accept that authority over our lives. And Zephaniah is saying, Judah, you're failing. Trouble's coming. Pain is coming your way. And that is why there will be judgment. Now, when we think about that word judgment, there's a lot of ideas that come to our mind about what that requires, what, what just, uh, judgment is needed for. What we usually think of is that judgment is specifically designed for the person that's done the wrongdoing to tell them, hey, knucklehead, you were wrong. Now there's going to be consequences for this. This is what a kid usually thinks of. Now, this story, the teens have already heard this story, I know. But when I think of judgment in this context, I think of when I was five years old and I was in a Christmas pageant. Now, hang in with me here for a second. I promise it actually connects. Five years old, I was in a Christmas pageant. I was a shepherd because that's what you do to the five-year-olds. You make them shepherds where they don't have any lines. They don't need to say anything, so they don't need to worry about remembering anything. They just go where the adult points for them to go to. And as me and the other shepherds were wading in, one of the shepherds called my friend a bonehead. As we were off on the side of the stage, kind of in the corner, and I didn't take too kindly to this. I knew that this was wrong. He should not have called him a bonehead. Therefore, judgment needed to happen. But first, I needed to call him out. I said, he's not a bonehead. That wasn't nice. You're the bonehead. Now, this, this guy would not take back what he said about my friend. So I knew, as a five-year-old, for a fact, there is only one reason why you give a five-year-old a shepherd's staff. 
and that is to bring judgment. <laughs> Next thing the entire congregation knew, they saw an all-out brawl among the shepherds that was started by yours truly, the son of the pastor. But that's what we usually think of judgment. But there was also an interesting side effect. No one called anybody a bonehead after that. That's the other part of judgment. The other purpose of judgment. It's a warning. Verse 6. The Lord says, I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are in ruins. I have made their streets desolate, with no one passing by. Their cities are laid waste, without a man, without an inhabitant. Sure, I said, surely you will revere me, accept instruction. So her dwelling will not be cut off according to all that I have appointed concerning her. But they were eager to corrupt all their deeds." God's saying here is, you saw me judge the nations around you. You saw where this path leads. I let you see this so that you could understand, don't go this same road. It's not worth it. It's not going to get you where you want you to go. It's going to lead to destruction. And that verse ends with the sad point of that they would rather have corruption take over in all their deeds. When we see someone face the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their sin, what I have to ask myself is how do I react? If I'm being honest, many times I say it's about time. Good riddance. That person deserved that. And that may very well be true. I'm not saying that we don't negate the consequences that someone faces for their actions. That is part of judgment. Absolutely. But when we're on the outside looking in, we are not meant to waste those opportunities to take that warning. Many, many years ago, there was a man in ministry that, that I looked up to. He, he was a little bit of a mentor for me. Uh, I would pick his brain a lot as I was preparing to go into college and, and, and for my own uh, path towards going into ministry. Spent a lot of time working with me. He, he, he was amazing. And then after I went off to college, it became uh, known that he was having a relationship with another woman that was not his wife. And I remember feeling completely betrayed, thinking, how could you do this? How could someone be that horrible to throw everything away? What kind of knucklehead does something like that? And that following Sunday, the senior pastor of that church got up on the stage to explain to the congregation what had happened with this other individual and, while he was, and why he was no longer going to be working there. Talked about the consequences that that person had to face but then also said this. He said, don't think for a second that this doesn't matter to you. 
this could have happened to any of us. When we see someone fall, destroy their own lives because of what they've done, do we ask ourselves, what's going on in my life? God, check my heart. What sin is going on in my life that if I don't deal with this is going to lead me down this path of destruction? And that is a very, very painful question to ask ourselves. That is a very painful prayer to give to God because it is overwhelmingly uncomfortable. And Judah didn't listen. They had not been listening up to this point. And the consequence, God says, is will be destruction. And this very strange verse happens, <laughs> a pivot verse. Verse 8, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. For the day when I rise up as a witness, indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. That sounds like a terrifying verse. The first time, few times as I was reading that verse, that verse freaked me out. That's terrifying. But did you catch the phrase of hope that was in that verse? God says, wait for me. Wait for what? Wait for this destruction to happen? For the natural consequences of the sin that have been happening so rampantly throughout? Or is he talking to another group in that phrase? The group that's looking around at all this destruction saying to God, God, how much longer? I can't live in this environment anymore. I'm, I'm drowning, I'm crumbling, I'm trying to follow you, but I have no support, I have no backup. I feel completely alone in this. Is it possible that God is saying to that group, wait for me? And here's the interesting thing. The most unbelievable thing happened in Judah. Judah listened. The beginning of this whole story, an eight-year-old boy becoming king, that king grew up to be the last good king in all of Judah. Good in the way scripture describes it. A man who, against all odds, followed after God. And in the 18th year of his reign, he ordered that they should fix up the temple, clean it up because it had been neglected. Crazy thing happens. As they're cleaning it up, some guys come up to the king and say, Hey, king. We discovered God's book of the law that had been lost for a long time in the temple. We kind of forgot it actually existed. Here you go. And the king read it. 
and was so grieved because he realized that his people had been living so against God's law that he understood what that meant. That destruction could happen. So he made sweeping decrees that all the false idols should be torn down. All the altars that don't follow after God should be stripped down. That his people needed to turn to God and repent and ask for mercy and kindness. And things changed in Judah. And just as suddenly as it changed in Judah, Zephaniah's message takes a shift. Verse 9. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. In that day, you will feel no shame because of all your debts by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exalting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong, And tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. For they will feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Can you imagine that for a second? Do you see what just happened here? God's grace has burst through. It's what he will do. He will make all things right. Everything that we have messed up, that we have twisted outside of his initial design, God says, I can and will fix this. And I will remove from your midst what does not belong. This judgment that I'm laying out, it's for your benefit. I'm here to give you a fighting chance. Those that are leading you astray, that's not going to last forever. Those that are causing destruction, pain, those things are not going to last. God says, I will have the final say, and when I'm done, what's going to be left is a people that are humbled, that will trust me, where fear and injustice will be gone. How many of us have asked for exactly that at some point in our lives? And the result is nothing short of miraculous. Verse 14, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. See what happens there. The Lord will reign in your midst. God takes out 
in our lives what does not belong so that he can enter in. That process is painful. When I read those verses, I, I left myself wondering, God, what, what is in my midst that needs to get taken out for you to come in? And there have been times in my life where that, that has been a very painful answer to receive. Sometimes it's been people in my life that needed to be removed. Sometimes it's been goals and dreams, plans that I've had that needed to be removed. Sometimes, sometimes it's been sin that I've clinged on for too long that needs to be removed. Where I've ignored those warnings of judgment on others. And let me tell you, if that is you today, I am pleading with you. Listen to those warnings. I am a young man. And I am pleading as a young man who has already seen far too many friends, far too many well-grounded believers that I've looked up to not take those warnings and have fallen. Don't miss out on that opportunity to let God reign in your midst. Because then you get to verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. A book that started, started a message with some of the strongest words of judgment ends with some of the most powerful words of God's compassion, mercy, and love. Judgment and hope are not mutually exclusive. They belong together. Because within that message of judgment is designed for us to see that there is a hope for us to cling on to. That there is a way through it. And on the other side, we see a God that delights in us. That is overjoyed by us. That is actually contemplative. Think about that. He, he thinks on it. He spends time just thinking on his love for us. How beautiful is that? But we rob ourselves of experiencing that when we cling on to the things that God is so intent on trying to remove from us that hinder us from seeing what he's doing in our own lives. That leaves us with a question. Where do we go from here? What in the world do we do from here? Because the truth is, the, the level of prophecy that Zephaniah gives on this message of hope was only partly fulfilled. Judah had a spiritual revelation. They, they had this opportunity for them to grow close to God, and they did for a time. But when King Josiah died, it didn't take long for them to go off the wrong path again. They split off pretty quickly. And again... Judgment did come. 
But there's this incredible message of hope. So what does that mean for us? Here's part of what I think it means. In the very, very end of this book, verse 20, God says, At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. How could that be possible if this prophecy is unfulfilled and the people who heard this prophecy, who this was written to, are long since gone? Not even death can stop God's promises. We serve a God that is good, that is righteous, that is just, that operates from an eternal perspective. And there will come a day when we will get to the end, get to see our Creator, and get to see this play out. Death is not the end. God says, I will see all things made right. I will see things through. You can count on it. Yes, the judgment's here right now, but hang on, stand firm. I am in your midst. Let's pray. Father, I find messages like Zephaniah is hard because there's so much that could be said. And God, I'm sure that if I was thinking hard enough, I might think that I had forgotten something to say. <laughs> but we know that you will speak to us whatever it is we need to hear. So I trust that, that what we've heard today, including myself, what I've heard today from your word is what I needed to hear. And God, anything that's holding us back from delighting in you, from wanting you to be in our midst, no matter how painful it's going to be, would you take it out of our lives? If there's something that we're clinging on to, a dream that doesn't belong there, a sin that definitely doesn't belong there, don't let us end the day without dragging that out into the light, speaking about it with another fellow believer who can help us on the next step in our journey so that we can hear you rejoicing over us, delighting in us, being quiet in your love. Amen. Here in just a moment, you're going to get dismissed by our ushers who will help you out here to make sure we can get this done orderly. But as a reminder again, 
Let the Lord be in your midst. That is the solution. A couple of verses I want to read to you as we're wrapping up here. In Lamentations, Jeremiah's seen the, the destruction that would happen for those that aren't listening to what God is saying. But he, he pauses to say this, Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down with me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Nothing else is going to fix whatever mess we've gotten ourselves into. There's not a single leader, a politician, nothing like that that can fix it. Our rebellion, our rebellion may end with corruption and oppression, but what Zephaniah reminds us is that the solution is God's work in restoring our relationship with him. That's the solution, to bring him back into our midst. The perfect, holy, righteous, just king returning to reign. And we can delight and hope in that. And as we've always learned, we don't know what the next seven days will bring. <laughs> Boy, have we been learning the last few months. So until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you strength and courage and peace. Go in peace.